Intune. A very good afternoon and welcome to Intune. My name is Naledi Molo and you're tuned to SAFM, South Africa's news and information leader. It's all about young people and we're carrying the show all the way through to 1 o'clock this afternoon. So a very short hour, but one that is jam-packed indeed. We're going to be uh, speaking to entrepreneurs that have been part of the Henley Business School's Africa's Global Economic Development Program, which which has its focus on multiracial business development strategy and, and implementation and is really designed uh, to equip business leaders with global best practices and insights. And we'll be speaking to some of the entrepreneurs that took part in the program. They'll be talking a little bit about what they've learned about what other businesses and how other countries are, are developing themselves and, and using business to do so and perhaps what we can learn from them as well. And a little bit later on in the show, as usual, we have our radio workshop that's going to be at 20 to 1. And at quarter to 1, we'll be going into our info corner and we'll be talking about the University of KZN's uh, hosting of its annual scholarship awards ceremony and also one of the young men that has won uh, one of these scholarship awards. So we'll be chatting to him and also the, the University of uh, KZN a little bit later on. I know that if you're watching your television, you know that South Africa and, uh, and, and, and Australia just started off that match there. And I'm sure you're keen, if you're not watching, you're keen to find out exactly how it's going on. So we're going to be speaking to Craig Ray, who's going to be giving us an update. But uh, while we try and get him on the line so we can find out how it's going so far, I am joined in studio right now by... Uh, uh, Neo Lekabo, who is Marketing Manager of Africa at MultiChoice. Neo, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Right, and I'm also joined in studio by Phyllis Kumbula, who is uh, at the Hanani Project Solutions. Phyllis, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Well, perhaps start off with telling us a little bit about the Executive Development Program, how you became a part of it, and and what it aims to do. Okay, thanks, um, lady. What... Um, we, we're part of the um, MBA group um, with Handy Business School and one of the things that um, is entailed in the program is to give um, the students exposure in terms of um, other markets and collecting best practice and um, the, the China trip was basically part of that. Mm-hmm. Um, there's learning that happens in the classroom but there's also learning that happens in real life right. and I think um, in terms of how Handy structures the MBA program um, they follow that ethos whereby um, they ensure that what, what you what you learn in, in, in class and what you do and write about in the assignment, mm. you also go to a market where you can see it in practice. And um, firstly, may, over and above just, um, over and above just um, adopting best practice, but that you come back and be able to, to, to implement that at home. All right, uh, quite interesting. And you know, before we went on, you know, and I had a, a big conversation about what China is doing differently as in comparison to what we're seeing here at home. Phyllis, the experience for you? It was absolutely phenomenal. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, it was a, a real eye opener. Uh, you got to see uh, how far China is and how a little bit behind, or should I say, quite behind we are, and the amount of work we we generally as a country need to do. So it was a, a real eye-opener for all of us. Mm-hmm. Um, exciting, um, interesting. Uh, we got to, su- to see uh, interesting sites, uh, meet um, um, key people in, in uh, private sector as well as uh, government. 
and um, overall, in general, I think all of us took uh, quite, a, quite a lot uh, in terms of lessons learned and so forth away to come back and implement in our normal day-to-day, uh, day-to-day life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, we also joined on the line by Susan Masuku, who is the Marketing Manager at LegalWise. Susan, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. I know that you, you only returned from China as well on, on, on Monday, I believe. Is that correct? That is correct. And, and, and Phyllis has talked quite a bit about, you know, having spent, I think it was a week that she spent in China uh, visiting different businesses. Let's talk about the kind of businesses that you, that you interacted with, what you took home, and, 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 and a very big question, but to the, some of the, the stark differences that you saw. Well, I think first and foremost, we visited a company called um, Yingli Solar. Mm-hmm. They actually supplied the solar panels that you see on your way to the airport okay. here in South Africa. And what I took out from them is that they really are very um, aggressive, positive about what they're doing. They work as a unit. They work towards as the same goal. They in a way, I think we, we, from the South African side, when I compared it with them, we lack a little bit of that togetherness or that same goal or that um, positiveness of what we're doing. Mm. So that was the one uh, company that we visited um, too. The other place that I got quite a lot out of was a company called Yahweh. They're into technology. Yahweh, yes. Yes, hmm. and what happened there is what I saw is that although they have a specific niche market, they're not opposed to actually opening up and, and actually having um, specific products for a specific product category. So they're not only just into cell phones and cell networks and hard and software. They actually go into as far as um, having specific mining software, they're into a banking um, software. So they open up their, their, their business dealings into more than just one mm. market. Absolutely. Well, Susan, just stay on the line with us. We're going to continue speaking to you. Uh, but now, just to bring in some of the conversation that we had a little bit earlier on before we went on air, and we also started talking about the stark differences between um, what China, and, and we also started talking about the perceptions that people have of China. The idea is that China is still a developing country, but they're moving and growing at a fast pace because they're a well-oiled machine. But perhaps those perceptions are things that uh, we haven't yet shifted. And then we started getting into the conversation about how South Africa is perceived to the rest of the world. Yeah, I know too. I mean, China is quite developed. And um, the, you see, the thing is that from a, and, and I come from a marketing background and um, brands and the perceptions of how people see, view, see your brand um, are important to me. And it was very interesting that when, we, when I went to China, when we all went to China, um, I think we had a certain perception of China. And mm. the perception was sweatshops, um, cheap goods, um, cheap labor, cheap labor, mm. and all that type of stuff. That is the China of 15, 20 years ago. And um, Dr. Martin Davis made that point, but you know, <laughs> at that point I was skeptical, and I thought, oh, of course he'll make this point because you know <laughs> he's coordinating the trip. But yes. when you get there, you actually realize that um, we're still stuck in the past in terms of the perception of what China is and the role that they're playing. Um, they they they're playing on a on a on an eight-last world stage. 
they're playing at a level where they're looking 50 years ahead in terms of the kind of community they want to shape and the kind of competitiveness they want um they they want they want to 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 do um and everything else that they do they one thing for sure is that they make decisions mm. you may agree or may not agree with some of those decisions but the point of the matter is that they know that for instance in in in, in Beijing they've got 24 million um people mm. in Beijing so they can't have more um, coming in on the road yes okay and they th- there's a law you can only own one car you can't own a second car mm. you could argue from a human rights perspective that your, fr- your freedom of movement has been compromised but they match that for instance with um, a very efficient and and, and heavily subsidized mm. public transport and Compared to us from a perception standpoint, I think we need to understand that much as we think, much as it took us to to go to China and realize that the China we're talking about in terms of sweatshops and and fake goods is a China of 20 years ago. The question, I suppose, remains to say the perception that people have of South Africa or even the continent at large in terms of poverty and um, crime and all of those kind of things. The reality of the matter is that that perception is still stuck in the outside world mm. because that's the images that they see of South Africa and of the continent at large. Right. And the, the question remains become the question becomes for some of us who have have uh, who have been privileged enough to be part of this trip and who are willing to make the country work. What is it that we can do to make sure that we clean up the perception about South Africa for the same way that China is doing? It's cleaning up their perception, the the way that people perceive them as well. Um, You also talked quite a bit about how, you know, one of the things that uh, perhaps we should take home from having learned from China is that this is a country that has a plan. It has a 50-year-old plan. They know exactly what they're going to do and what the the country and cities are going to look like in the next 20 to 30 years. Um, And and, and my argument was, yes, but, you know, we have somewhat of a plan too. We have the National Development Plan, Phyllis. What was amazing was how everybody was in tune to what the government was doing. Mm. And you got the um, uh, picture that uh, everybody throughout the country is operating according to uh, the the plan that government has set out. Mm. And they, they were very alert to it and very aware of it. And that's something that we as a country, I think, need to, to, to take and, and implement. And there's a, a, if you speak to anybody in private sector at the moment, the, you know, they, their concern is that there's a huge gap between private sector and government and nobody really understands what government is doing or it's not clear or it's not uh, easily accessible. Um, and what we got from China was that that plan is, is clear cut and, and, and taken across to every sector in the industry and everybody's working towards that. So that's definitely something that we need to implement locally, mm-hmm. which I think will definitely assist every company um, um, going forward and, you know, in the future then allow us to grow as we should. Just just to talk a little bit about, you know, um, the presence of, of China in Africa and, and the massive presence that China has had. Um, we had the conversation earlier about uh, whether that's beneficial for Africa, for African business, for the development of the very of, of the countries across the continent. Your thoughts, Phyllis? Look, um, there's there's a lot of talk about you know China, China dumping goods into Africa, okay? Mm-hmm. And you know when we were there, we we got to experience the different levels of 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 the goods. You know, you get the high quality, uh, cheap goods, and the you know medium quality and low quality type. And we got the impression that Africa seems to be getting the low-quality low quality stuff. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I think, in general, that whole market that China has created is because there's a need. And mm-hmm. 
what they're catering for is, is for the countries, the emerging markets, that have needs and um, maybe not the means, but there's definitely a need. So they've recognized, you know, that there's something out there the that needs to be... The cheap goods aren't the only needs that Africa has. I, I totally agree. But what we need to do now is, is, is work at developing ways on how to, um, say, um, grow our own societies and our economies mm-hmm. so that we can now afford for our people those good quality goods and not have to rely on the China's cheap quality goods. Well, I also but just wanted to, I wanted to get into the conversation around skills transfer as well, but we're going to do that. We're still speaking to Phyllis Kumbula, Susan Masuku is on the line, and Neo Lekabo. But first, though, I did mention that we'll be chatting to Craig Ray, and he's going to tell us about uh, South Africa taking on Australia there in Brisbane. Craig? Hi, good evening, uh, Naledi. Um, well, good evening from Brisbane. And uh, as you join us at 7-3 to South Africa, Christian Lilifano has just kicked the penalty for Australia in the ninth minute. South Africa started well with the try from replacement prop, Kuni Ustaz, and he was on the field for a blood bin. That after a penalty and a line-out drive set up the try. So it was the best possible start for the Springboks as they look to end 42 years without a loss, without a win rather, in Brisbane. But uh, Australia hit back and Willem Alberts is in the sin bin after a deliberate knock-on, and that means the Springboks are down to 14 men for the next uh, 10 minutes or so. But uh, with uh, nearly 10 minutes gone, it's South Africa leading the Wallabies by 7 points to three. Craig Ray for SAFM Sport. Thank you, Craig, and we're going to get another update from him a little bit later on, but we're still chatting to Phyllis Kumbula, Neole Kabo, and also Susan Masuku, talking a little bit about the Henley Business Schools, Africa's global economic development program. They, they spent a week in China getting to understand how China's growing their economy, uh, how they're doing business, and they're going to share uh, all that they learned with us right after this. You know... I've heard that it's important to have transparency about a school's budget and how it spends its money. At our school, there's much more transparency because we don't even have glass in our windows. So they can never get dirty and they're always totally transparent. But when it comes to asking where the money for the missing windows is, well, that's where things get dirty. Misuse of school funds is corruption. As a parent, you have the right to decide how your children's school funds are used. Go to corruptionwatch.org.za to find out more. Let's report corruption in our schools. SMS bribe and your tip-off to 45142. SMS costs one rand. If you're worried about your financial future, thinking about life insurance, saving for retirement, not sure about investing for you and your family, what about your children's education? To answer all your questions, join me, Brian Hirsch, Tuesday morning, 10 o'clock. The Oliver and Adelaide Tumble Foundation, in partnership with SAFM, invites you to join the third annual Oliver and Adelaide Tumble Liberation Walk on the 5th of October 2013. This year's theme is 10,000 Feet United for Education. Enter the 5, 10 or 21 kilometer walk as we honor these struggle heroes. Entertainment for kids and family will be provided. For more information, visit tumbleliberationwalk.co.za. Join us as we walk to educate. Uh-huh. Yeah. In tune.
still on Intune. My name is Naledi Mulung and it's 104 to 107 SAFM, South Africa's news and information leader. I'm still with Naola Kabo, marketing manager of Africa at uh, MultiChoice and also Phyllis Kumbula of the Hanani Project Solutions and also Susan Masuku, marketing manager at Legal Wife. Susan, I thought we'd lost you there for a while, but I'm glad that you're still on the line. Uh, we started talking a little bit about, you know, Phyllis was talking about how China is is really just, just providing a, a, a supply for where there's a demand. So if there's cheap goods, if South Africa needs cheap, if Africa needs cheap goods, that's what they're going to supply. But all, Africa also needs skills. And, and one of the biggest issues with the big presence of China in Africa has been that we're not seeing a skills transfer. Your thoughts there, Susan? I think to, some, to a greater extent, we actually allow, for instance, the cheap goods to be, to be brought into our country. Um, and to a very greater extent as well, we allow them not to transfer the skills that they have to the local market. Mm. If you look the, at the way they actually do their business is that when they open up new companies or new organizations in different countries, they ensure that at least the top three executives are from China. You know, they make sure that their people run the businesses in those different countries. Mm. It is up to us or the local government of that particular country to ensure that those skills are actually transferred. We, to some extent, I don't know whether it's um, intimidation or whether we're not able to assert ourselves in in terms of actually making sure that we are able to, to learn and to understand and to know what is required within that particular company or organization for us to be able to, to run it. That's why I think we, we might blame them and say they do not transfer their skills. Mm. I think we actually let them. We're not assertive enough to say, you are here, you groom or you upskill one of our um, leaders to ensure that in five years' time that person actually runs that company. Right. Uh, give us a call, 891 The number again is 891 Still with our guests and we're talking, having spent a week in China, having learned uh, uh, some of China's best practices, they've come back to try and share uh, 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 everything that they've learned. What is the next step for you? What are some of the things that you've picked up and learned over the past two weeks that, that, that you think you're, you'll be able to implement back home? I think it's just culture in terms of how we operate um, and the fact that the country is a trickle-down effect. If, as individuals, we're not competitive, we can't expect the country to be competitive. Mm. It's one thing to say government is not doing this and it's not doing that. When we are not competitive ourselves in our day-to-day work, in what we employ to do wherever we are or in the businesses we run, there's no way that the country is going to be um, to be competitive. And that is the one thing that I found um very interesting with China. When Phyllis spoke about um, the different quality of goods, and when you go to um, the markets in Yasha or the mm. smoke market in Beijing, and you look at this 18-year-old negotiating with you very hard in terms of in, in terms of what you want to buy and what you, you need to pay and everything else, and they're very mechanistic, you realize that that competitiveness starts at a very early age. It doesn't start after you've got a master's in business administration. Yes. And you say, well, I want to start being competitive. Mm. It's a cultural thing. It's a mindset thing. And so that is the first thing for me was the fact that I think we need to be competitive as individuals first. 
before we can expect um, the country to be um, competitive. And the second That's interesting, and I'm just going to come in there, because quite often you talk about how no, South Africa needs to be a little bit more competitive, we need to have a culture of entrepreneurship, a culture of building, a culture of growing, and then uh, the conversation all then becomes, oh no, but look, we also have to deal with issues of legacy, we also, you know, come from a past that is this, that, and the other, and, and, and some will say that's an excuse, Phyllis. Look, um, you can't take away the legacy issues, but what you have to do is, is definitely uh, look forward and work forward. Um, you know, everybody else at the moment is definitely forward going. Mm. So we as a country need to, yes, uh, sort out uh, the legacy issues, but at the same time you need a, a certain portion of the economy definitely working on uh, being competitive and competing on, on a global scale. Mm. That's, that's definitely what we realized um, going to China, that if we lag behind and we focus on only resolving the legacy issues, um, we will wake up and then we find that everyone else is so way advanced, you know, we cannot compete. So, yeah, that's, that would be my advice currently, that, you know, I actually felt that, you know, we, we are a little bit... Uh, uh, behind and we're struggling to compete and we may not be able to catch up you and that was my fear when yeah. I, you know when I actually got there look <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm the eternal optimist I also I always want to look at you know the, 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 the brighter side of life so Susan are there some things that you can say we can give ourselves a pat in the back with regards to uh, when you compare uh, what China is doing and where we are I think with us um, looking back and looking at the legacy and looking at where we've come from, to a greater extent, I think we can give ourselves a pat on the back to say we, we've looked forward, we, we're trying our best not to forget but to actually use what we, where we've come from to build on, yeah. which is very different from China because they've been almost like a one-party state. So they don't have any other problems to to try and resolve or different cultures and different people to try and, and bring together. Mm. And I think for us, because of the different cultures, the different languages, the many different languages, to a very greater extent, we've done pretty well to unite as a country. Right. And I think um, with that, we can give ourselves a, a, a real, you know, pat on the back to say we've done well to unite on their front. Okay. Uh, let's just come back to talking about young people now, Nero. You, you spoke a little bit about how, you know, the, the culture of competitiveness is one that, that exists in China from, from children from a very young age. How do we start bringing them in, that into South Africa where, you know, a 17-year-old, a 15-year-old starts thinking about where they'll be 10 years from now? I think we need to destigmatize um, things and we, 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 um, we need to stop labeling things. Mm. Um, it, it's very funny that um, when you, as an example, when, when, when you go into you know, the of, of the of the Chinese uh, markets, and you even show a remote interest in a, a a product, they will not let you go until you have bought. They will ask you how much you want to pay. <laughs> they'll still chase after you literally. Mm. And when you go into our markets, whether you go to Santin or whatever, and you get in and you get a shop assistant and you ask how much is this, and they're like, well. It's 300 grand, so they go, okay, and you leave. They say, okay, she's No one's going to run after you. No one's going to run after you. Okay? (laughs) And and, and, and it's a a mindset thing. And and once you start stigmatizing debates as um, someone being disrespectful, Mm. once you continue to to, to stigmatize the fact that someone who's got a different opinion from you, um, you label them something, 
we're not going to get anywhere. You know, there's a philosophical concept called ad hominem, where if you if you can't deal with someone's argument, you impeach their character. Mm. You know, as if their character's got anything to do with their mind. You know, and you're like, well, but you know, how can this person build a train if um, he stole sugar yesterday? But well, it's oh, not related. So I think we need to destigmatize um, thinking. We need to stop retweeting in red commas. We need to start thinking. And, 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 and stop the group mentality. I like and that. I think at a very early age, if we can allow the kids to know that it's okay to have a different opinion, it's okay to voice it out yeah. without smacking them, I think it will be a beginning of, of, of what, what, what an answer to your question. Mm. And, and, and I know that on this trip as well, uh, the, the three of you and, and others that had accompanied you on the trip as well had a lot of differences of opinions on certain things. And, and, and just, just share with us some of the debates that you had there, Phyllis. <laughs> Why are you looking at me? <laughs> yeah, he's, he's the one. He's the one that told on you. That told on all of you. Oh, did he? Yes, he okay, did. Well, maybe you should. Go. <laughs> <laughs> Look, um, I think everybody saw China with different eyes, hmm. based on our backgrounds and what we're doing currently. So then it allowed for everybody to then, you know, compare how they saw. Uh, what was happening, and you know, we started applying how we can take that away. So in that, yes, you know, yeah. there were differences of opinions. But you know, um, um, adding on to what Neo was saying, I just want to emphasize uh, that our youth really need to, um, um, you know, uh, focus maybe on on um, uh, looking externally and and trying to. Um, you know, um, operate in a global perspective because, mm. you know, if if we we focus on 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 our local um, um, way of doing things, I, I really do feel that you know our our youth will become frustrated. I mean, we've got a growth rate of five percent that we we are targeting um, in South Africa, and China is is looking at what seven to eight percent and so forth, mm. which is quite close. But we we need to really engage our people and and um, the government has got to focus on entrepreneurship and so forth but if the mindset is not there and the support structures like Neo was saying is not there um, you know that that is going to lag behind it's true yeah it's true Susan let's just bring you in as well where you were, we're talking about encouraging a sense of competitiveness from from a very young age how do we go about doing that you know one of the like I said before one of the companies that we visited was Yingli Solar and I think two of the junior executives that took us around were an average of about 26 years old. The, those guys, the, the knowledge that they had about what they were doing and their organization, the authority that they're actually standing up and addressing us, the presence that they had because of their knowledge, because of, the, of them having gone to school, mm. for me it showed that if we encourage our youth to actually go to school, to learn, to understand, and not only just um, a formal education, I think you can learn from different ways, but just that, the fact that those guys were went to school at such a young age could have such authority over their subject, for me, that was absolutely mind-blowing. Mm. They showed us, for instance, their demographic in terms of their work demographic and the number of people in management and what qualifications they had. It showed to me that, first and foremost, education 
is the most important thing. And you don't have to be um, given everything on a civil platter. You have to work for it. Mm. But with education, you can absolutely be anything. Yeah, so true. Some of the things that perhaps you want to leave us with, um, I know that we've only got a few more minutes left, but just as we continue, there was, there was also the conversation around how, how, how Africa needs to start taking advantage of the opportunities that China is bringing in. How do we go about doing that, Phyllis? Um, um, you know, adding on to Neo and my colleagues, mm -hmm. um, education, uh, a competitive nature, um, a desire to be um, good at what we do, um, to pick up on those things and to, to be uh, pedantic about, you know, how to do our things well mm -hmm. and to do it better than everyone else. You know, those are the things that give us a mark and, and, and show that we are actually who we are. So we need to say, okay, Africa is in the space of, I don't know, uh, the motor industry maybe, um, and say, okay, all the plants um, need to come to Africa. Then our people need to then set, uh, start uh, um, uh, skilling themselves in how to make the cars better than anybody else in the right. world. Right. And, you know, those are the things that we need to start focusing on. Mm. So of course, that comes from leadership, uh, our government, that needs to filter down to everybody else, and then we align ourselves so that we attain those GDP figures that we're looking for. Mm -hmm. yeah. And closing thoughts from you now? All Apple products are manufactured in South of China, for instance, mm. by a Taiwanese company. And they get sold all over the world for lots of money. We pay thousands for iPhone 5s and iPads and everything else. When the Chinese people take that technology because the skill of, 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 of manufacturing an Apple product has been passed on to them, mm. when they do their own and they call it Hong Li, we call it fake. It isn't. They've just been competitive. Mm. They've gained the knowledge. They're using it. And we won't buy it because some marketing guy hasn't done a good job like the Apple people did. No, it's not a brand that I know. Yeah, yeah. We need it's to Hong Kong now. It's Hong Kong now. Yeah. We need to redefine competitiveness. That's that. That's just my that, that's just my view. And just by way of context, and I understand that you know that discussion is a bit one-sided in a sense that we're comparing a country of 1.3 billion people with a country of 40 billion people. It's much smaller country. Yeah. China's got um, foreign exchange reserves of three trillion US dollars. Mm. But I think let's redefine competitiveness and let's not. De let, let's destigmatize de failure. Let's destigmatize argument. Let us argue. Let us debate issues. And it's okay to have difference of opinions. I love it. Susan, closing thoughts from you? I'll say one of the guys that we spoke to, they, I think his name was Shu Sitao. He said to us that our leaders go to, to um, other countries asking for help using gold um, bulbs. And for me, that said that we have the resources here in our countries. We have the intelligence to an extent. We just do not have that. Um, we lack a little bit of initiative. We lack a little bit of the spirit of entrepreneurship. With a little bit of help and enablement from the government, I think we would be able to rival the almost 10% growth rate if only our youth and everybody involved could see themselves as working towards the same goal of being the best that we can. Mm. 
All right. Well, thank you so much for for speaking to us. Susan Masuku is the marketing manager of LegalWise, and also we had Nawal Lekabo, who is a marketing manager at Multi Choice, and also with us was uh, Phyllis Kumbula, who is Hanani Project Manager Solutions Managing Director. Wonderful time chatting with you. We've got an SMS that has come in, and I'm going to take a look at it right after we get our radio workshop. Now, children naturally ask big questions about the hows and the whys of the world, and the Children's Radio Foundation. Manenberg reporters got the opportunity to ask scholars, teachers and, con- and, and conference delegates some really big questions. They attended the Philosophy for Children conference at the University of Cape Town at the weekend. Take a listen.